Let's read this. Psalms 124, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. If it had not been for the Lord who is on our side, let Israel now say again, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when men rose against us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters, they would have taken uh, and gone over our soul. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not given us prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare, <laughs> don't get excited, Dell. <laughs> is broken real quick we're gonna finish this look at your neighbor and just tell them they they might not fully understand it but their spirit will just look at them in their in their good eye go ahead look at them say neighbor it's broken all right that was the wrong neighbor because they didn't give you the right response find you another neighbor look at your neighbor on your other side other neighbor come on tell them other neighbor i can't tell you what it is but whatever it is it just broke all right, that was the right neighbor. Let's for instance, the snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is not in a new president. It's not in the November elections. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. One more time before I have you sit down. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. Let Israel now say, if it had not been, you can be seated. I want to preach to you for a few moments from the subject, if it had not been. I know this is hard to believe, um, but uh, I, I never really played sports in high school. And you would think with such a athletic physique as mine. Thank you. My church knows to say amen right there. I'm what you call skinny by faith. Um, but my brother was into sports. He played track. I tried cross country and I just didn't understand it. And so I gave up. But my brother was a racer. He was a basketball player. So I ended up going to all of his basketball games. And one time we were in middle school and kids really suck at basketball in middle school. Um, but you go there to support their dreams. And uh, my brother was playing basketball uh, in one of the games. He, he, got, he got out there, and they had a new player on the team. Now, this is sixth grade, and this kid is six feet tall. And they decided, before we let the team see you, why don't you hide in the locker room, and you can come out a little bit later. And so everybody came out, and uh, my brother's team sucked. Like, not good. Whatever good is, they were the opposite. So when they came out, it didn't surprise us that the other team, the opponents, were gloating uh, because they knew that my brother's team was not that good. Their faces changed as soon as they called the roll. And the last one to be called was this new kid named Jerome, who, again, was in sixth grade but was six feet tall. Jerome comes out there and facial expressions change. Uh, they no longer were gloating. They were devising a new plan. Long story short, that game and many others, they won. It became a thing where they started reporting to whatever the association is that's over all the basketball leagues. They said, he can't play. How can you let him play? He's six feet tall. They said, well, he's in sixth grade, so he can play. The reason they didn't want him to play 
was because, not because of his height necessarily, it wasn't because of how good he was, it was because he was tall, he was good, but watch this, he was not on their team. If he had been on their team, there would be no complaining. Do I have a witness? You want a tall, physic, uh, physically uh, active young man? Here's why I tell this story. The Bible tells us to fear the Lord. And this is not, and we've tried to redefine this. When we talk about fearing the Lord, this is not simply a reverence. This is not simply just respecting him. I, I know that that's the case because when angels would show up in the scripture, people would be scared to death. And if they're scared of angels, how much more so for the fullness of the glory of God? Here's the reason why we struggle with the idea of being scared of God. And you should be scared of God. One of the problems in this generation is nobody's scared of nothing anymore. And so you can lead worship on Sunday and sleep around on Sunday night and not have a problem. I lost my amens. Collide, y'all hang with me because I, <laughs> I lost them. Um, but, the, but the truth is, the reason that we're able to fear the Lord and why it doesn't compute in our mind is because uh, on earth, the reason you fear something is because there's evil present. There's uh, some kind of attack present. The reason you should fear the Lord, number one, is because mountains, mountains melt at the mention of his name. He, he's just God all by himself. Demons tremble, cancer shrivels. He's got, you ought to fear the Lord. You ought to be scared of what he can do. But here's why we don't walk under the torment of fear. It's because he's on our side. Y'all made me do all that setup for that little bit of amen. Let me try it one more time. You, you got to understand something that God is like the tall kid on my brother's basketball team. The enemy has been laughing at you for the last season. He's been gloating about the victories that he's gotten over your life, about how your marriage is on the rocks and your kids are backslidden and you've got more bills than you have money. And the enemy is sitting on the side just gloating, trying to figure out what you're going to do because he knows that you're weak. But he doesn't know the secret that in my weakness, his strength has been made perfect. And I want to tell somebody that the older brother... His name is Jesus. He's getting ready to show up and he's getting ready to change everything around. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. Now understand something about Psalms 124. Psalms 124 is, is a, a pilgrimage song. It's a song that the children of Israel would have been singing on their way to Jerusalem. And I came to talk to Oakland Worship Center this morning uh, because you're 16. 16 is an interesting age. You're not quite a kid, but you sure enough ain't grown. I hear every black mom saying that's right. It's, a, it's an adolescent year where you're still trying to figure things out. Things are beginning to shift. But, but, and I heard it with the pastors here. Uh, they talked about a pilgrimage. And I sensed as I began to pray that the Lord highlighted Psalms 124 because he wants Oakland Worship Center to hear this. Pack your bags. It's time to move again. Now, I'm not talking about physical location, but some of you, and please don't be mad at me, but some of you have been on this plateau for too long. You've been in this season for too long. I get it. COVID took us out, but we're out of COVID kind of. Now, uh, why, why don't you just start journeying again? I know you've been hurt by the church, but why don't you just take a pilgrimage again? I know you've been wounded before, but why don't you take a pilgrimage again? See, what Psalms 124 is one of those songs that they would sing, if it had not been... For the Lord on our side. Too high, but we'll make it work. Um, thank you, Pastor Steve. Um, and they would be singing this as they were on their way to Jerusalem. 
They were going to Jerusalem to sacrifice and to make praises to the Lord, but on their way to praising God, they reminded themselves of why they should praise God. The reason why some of you don't worship, it's not because you're tired, it's because you forget. You and I are prone to forget. I I never understood it when I was younger, and for those of you who didn't grow up in a black church, just pretend like you did and hang with me for a few minutes. Uh, But I remember growing up in a black church in San Francisco, and every now and then you'd see a church mother out of nowhere. Thank you, Jesus. Spiritual Tourette's, what is going on? I'd be with my grandmother, we'd be in the aisle in a Safeway. Aisle number two, getting ice cream. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. And all of a sudden, she'd, we'd just be shopping. She'd look at price. Thank you, Jesus. Am I missing something? I didn't get it until I got good and saved. And I was out in public. And all of a sudden, I, thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you what inspired it. I had a flashback. Now, some of y'all haven't told you real testimony in a long time. I'm not talking about the testimony you share on Sunday morning. I'm talking about the real testimony. What happens is when you begin to remember how far God brought you, it begins to stir your soul with thankfulness and gratefulness. And memory is important. The children of Israel knew that memory was important. They would have these things called stones of remembrance. And whenever God did something great in their life, they would create a stone of remembrance. Even shepherds would have a staff, and on their staff, they would begin to mark some of the tragedies that they had experienced in life. And why? Because the children of Israel knew that if we forget the Lord, if we forget the works of the Lord, will no longer praise him. In Judges chapter 2, the 10th verse, it says there was an entire generation that fell away from the Lord because they did not know the works of God in their generation. What am I saying? I'm saying what Revelation chapter 2 says. When the church of Ephesus had forsaken their first love, the first thing he tells them to to do is not repent. It's not turn. He tells them to remember. Why would he tell them to remember? Um, I haven't been chunky my whole life. Most of my adult life, there's been a lot to me. But in my, uh, it's that kind of Sunday. Uh, but, but in high school, y'all, I sized 32 pants. Good God Almighty. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody said, what size do you wear now? I'll tell you when it's a testimony. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you know what I hate? The mo- I hate Facebook memories. Now, y'all, y'all are more saved than me, so you've not experienced But you ever, Facebook brings up a memory, and you're like, I'm not even friends with them no more. I don't even like them. Okay, that's not that side. <laughs> but what Facebook does is it brings up a memory, and I looked at, good God, I looked at a Facebook post that came up from about 10 years ago, and I was like, gee, I am twice the man today <laughs> that I was back then. Um, and all of a sudden, you know what it does? I got to get a gym membership. <laughs> get God Almighty. I got to start. You know, you ever look at an old picture and go, I'm, you know, this is my last time being fat. I'm going to throw away the chips. I'm gonna throw... <laughs> Why? Why? Because remembering the good times will stir you for desire for the good times to return. I was sitting with a couple. I was a youth pastor, and I've been single my, pretty much my whole life. Um, but I, and I don't know much about marriage, but they were begging me for marriage counseling. I said, I don't know what I can do, but I can try. And so they sat in my office, and I mean, they hated each other. I was thinking, good God almighty. They've been married for about 15, 16 years, and, and they were sitting in my, uh, and he, he would go, I said, well, what don't, what, what's the problem? 
she doesn't shave her legs anymore. Okay, um, that's how we're starting, all right. Um, well, what's your problem with him? All he does is come home from work and sit on the couch and do nothing. Whew, I'm 25. Anyway, I said, Holy Spirit, you gotta help me because I don't know what to tell these two hellions, but if you give me a word, I'll speak it. And the Lord brought back to my memory Revelation chapter two, when the church of Ephesus had not lost their love because many of you think you've lost your love. No, you forsook your love. Losing your love is an accident. Forsaking it is those purposeful, intentional moments when he wakes you up at two in the morning and you say, I want sleep more than I want you. That's called forsaking. I give you that for a freebie. Um, but in order to come back, what does he tell him? He says, you've forsaken your first love. The first thing I want you to do is recollect. I want you to remember how far you've come from. I want you to remember how far you've fallen. I need to remind you, Oakland Worship Center and all the other churches that are here today, that God has been good to you. I know that things may not be working out right now and you've got change that feels strange and your money is funny, but I need to remind you, this ain't the first time you've gone through. This isn't the first time you've had a hard season. This isn't the first time in your marriage where it's gotten a little rocky. And if God did it before, why can't he do it again? So the children of Israel create this song. This is David's song. And in Psalms 124, he says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, he said, uh, let Israel now say. And then he says it a second time, because sometimes you've got to keep reminding yourself. Do I have anybody with me? Sometimes you've got to keep, let me tell you what happens. Life happens. That's why you ought not ever beat yourself up for getting discouraged. Even young men grow weak. It is part of the journey. If you are living this Christian journey, at times you are going to get weak. And if you're not getting weak, it's because you're not living right. Thank you for my one clap. I started off with about 15. I've got five bobbleheads. I'll, I'll work with what I got. Uh, Sometimes you have to keep reminding yourself when the bills are due, God, you, you are a provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. And if I've got to go down to the sea and grab a fish and pull a pearl out of its mouth, I just trust that you're going to do it. Because I remember back in 1989 when I was getting ready to get evicted and just in the nick of time you brought it. Lord, I know I don't have enough money to take care of my family. But I remember 10 years ago when I was in a struggle like this and all of a sudden folks were knocking on my door leaving groceries. This is why testimony, we got to bring testimony service back because we got to start declaring the works of God. We have everybody talking about what God's not doing. I want to talk about what he is doing. Yeah, yeah, we got some stuff wrong in our nation, but I want to tell you Azusa revival happening in our nation. Yeah, everything ain't together and there's some racial injustice, but we've had a move of God in this. And we have to start reminding ourselves because recollecting and having testimonies of what God has done stirs your soul. Here's the thing. Your soul is in the way. <laughs> see the soul is where your emotions are it's where your preferences are and here's how you get your soul uh, obviously divinely given to the lord but your soul is shaped by experiences in life so if you keep getting hurt by men guess what your soul now believes that men are all bad it believes it as if it's true um if if you you believe certain things about white people or black people or whatever color uh all of a sudden you start experiencing those things over and over again you start believing things because your soul gets shaped by experiences this is why paul says forget those things which are behind paul are you telling me to forget where i've come from because in another verse you're going to tell me let the redeemed of the lord say so encouraging me to give my testimony so do i say so or do i forget what's behind me the term forget what's behind doesn't literally mean to lack memory if you look 
look it up in the original Greek, it means to no longer nurture. It's not what you've gone through that's the problem. It's how you're nurturing it that's the problem. Yeah, and some of y'all like it. Come on, let me get in your business a little bit. You love petting that hurt. Because it gives you attention. You love surrounding yourself with yes people who are just going to tell you you're the best thing since sliced bread. You're sitting up here stale, but uh, just petting your, just go for it, Lord. And, and, we, and we do this. And, and, and as soon as pastor calls us on our stuff, okay, maybe not this church. But let me talk to my church. As soon as pastor, so it's important that you understand how to look at your history. It's not enough just to look at your history because some of you are looking at what you've gone through and you see yourself as a victim and not victorious. But let me tell you what David said, and I might preach just a little bit here. David said, I've been living this life for a long time, and I've gone through a whole heck of a lot. But all of my days, I've got two stalkers, one of them on my left side that's called grace, and the other one on my right side, and it's called mercy. And understand that grace and mercy are not in front of me. He says grace and mercy are following me, which means that every time I look behind me, I've got to see grace, and I've got to see mercy before I see what I've gone through. That's what makes a testimony. It's not just what I've gone through. It's the fact that I went through it and he did he brought me out I got drunk and he didn't let me die I slept with folks I didn't know their name and he still redeemed me yeah I'm okay y'all don't want to hear real testimony but some of y'all would set some folks free if you would start seeing your past through the lens of grace and mercy see that's why you can't share your story because you see your past through the lens of shame that's why you're afraid to tell the real deal stuff that you've gone through because you don't have the glasses that David had. David said, I can't be sad about what I've gone through. And if anybody could have been messed up, David should have been messed up because we think that his sin was only Bathsheba. But David was a horrible father. One of his kids was trying to rape the other one. The other one was trying to steal his job as the king of Israel. All hell had broken loose. And David still looked at his past and said, Grace, mercy, I see you. How do you see what you've gone through. See, many of us will hear testimony and go, oh, oh man, that's, that's really nice. Just shucks. Well, wish the Lord would do something for me. Did he wake you up? Now, I, I want to get old school for a minute. Did he clothe you and put you in your right mind? You, you mean, you, do you know that there are some people who would dream of having your problems? I don't care what you've, and, and let's be honest, most of the stuff we're going through, it's because we didn't heed warnings anyway. Yeah, let me go to the next, I'm going to look at my notes real quick. If they don't like this point, move on. <laughs> let's walk through this real quick. Psalms 123, verse 3. Here's what David says, because he wants to get specific. He says, um, let's talk about what he's done. Number one. He says, they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Do you realize that God protected you from your enemies? There were some folks that were out to kill you. There were some folks that were out to hurt you, that to work your demise. But what David is saying here is that, God, you didn't let my enemies have me. As a matter of fact, David would pray in another prayer because he knew what God does to your enemies. He would pray in another prayer. He would say, God have mercy on my enemies. You've you got to understand something. God does not play about you. 
And some of you are not watching the defense of God in your life because your mouth won't shut. Here's the thing about warfare. Um, there's only two people in the ring, uh, the devil, and it's either going to be you or Jesus. And the reason why Jesus can't move in some of our lives is because we won't step out of the ring for him to do it. Come here, parents. Let me talk to you for a second. God wants to move in your children's lives, but you got to move out the way first. I knew I wasn't going to get too many amens. I mean, they're 35. They don't need you warning them to put on a jacket anymore to go outside. I need, can I have some adult kids just clap your hands because I've lost all the old people. I've just, I'm really trying. Uh, Y'all invited me. I was minding my, I was, I woke up early. I was, <laughs> he says, my enemies would have swallowed me alive. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we don't have enough time to turn there, but in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha is getting ready to be murdered by the, the Armenian or the Syrian army because the Syrian army knows that Elisha is the reason why the children of Israel keep winning. They were battling back and forth and what would happen is that Elisha would get a word from the Lord about the tactics of the enemy and I just want to put this in here as a prophetic parenthetical. God wants to teach you how to deal with your enemies in a prophetic manner. Not in a carnal manner. You can't cuss them out. Y'all don't have cussers in y'all church? Okay. Because y'all look at me in that tone of voice. You, 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 you've, you've, got to, you've got to understand something that God wants to take you in. Now watch this. He, he gets a prophetic word about everything that they plan to the enemy is going to happen. And so finally, the enemy's king says, somebody is snitching on my stuff. And somebody warns him, no, no, no. They've got a prophet. See, this is why we need prophets again. I know, uh, you know, everybody th thinks the prophets are, are weird and, and scary. No, I think it's weird for you to be a non-profit church. Uh, the reason you need the prophetic in this hour is because you need decisions to be made that you're not smart enough to make. I know, I know, I know that's offensive because you're very intelligent, but his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, the king gets tired and says, okay, let's go kill Elijah. And he brings his army for one man. I ought to show you how bad Elisha is. One man and an entire army shows up. And Elisha's assistant, who's kind of a new intern on the team, looks at Elisha and goes, oh, boy. Um, so what are we about to do? This is, oh, by the way, this is the NIV version, the Negro International version. Um, Elisha, I don't know if you... Um, because I know you'd be seeing stuff or whatever spiritually, but um, do you see stuff naturally? Because uh, you're sitting here like we cool, and there's an, an entire, because people who have the word of the Lord, they're not moved by external situations. Some of y'all who are full of anxiety, and you just need to get a word in you. Yeah, what are we going to do about this army that's surrounding me? And Elisha doesn't even respond to him. Just doesn't even get down to his level. He just prays. Father, would you open his eyes so that he can see that there are more with us than those who are against us? And all of a sudden, God does what Elisha prays and opens up his assistant eyes. And what happens? The assistant begins to see that there are chariots next to all the chariots of the enemy, except for here's the difference. God's chariots are on fire. Now, I know we've gotten good with lights, camera and action. But what makes the church the church is not our chariots. It's the fact that our chariots are on fire. 
I thought I'd get more amens, but let me try it this way. There are some folks in your life that think that Christianity is all about moral, uh, uh, moral deism or, or, or it's this idea of just changing you, the way that you live and behavioral modification. No, friend, the Bible says uh, in, in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to them and says, have you been filled with the Holy Ghost? They said, we didn't even, we Baptists. We, not, we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, Paul lays hands on them and they get filled with the Spirit. See, Christianity is a lot like those commercials in the 90s. Remember they tried to sell you a knife? And there's more. And by the time they finish everything, you've got a new house, two cars, five knives. Because no way you could pass up this deal. See, that's what Christianity is. And if your chariot's not on fire, you're not fully activated yet. Christianity is a thing where there's always more. Well, I've never seen anybody heal. There's more. I've never seen anybody deliver. There's more. You've just got to entrust that the Holy Spirit wants to do it through you, and you've got to ask him to open your eyes. See, the reason why I've watched, I'm watching believers live under fear and anxiety as if it's okay because they don't have eyes to see what God is doing. Here's why fear is a sin. Yes, I said fear is a sin. Well, where's that in the Bible? I got you. Revelation chapter uh, 21. It it says that uh, there's a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom. It says that they'll actually inherit a lake of fire. You know who's on that list? Uh, Murderers, adulterers, um, liars. You know who made it to the top of the list? Number one, um, it says cowards. (laughs) I didn't write the book. I just preach it. it. It says cowards. We'll spend an eternity in the lake of fire. Why? It is illegal to be afraid of anything but God. Why? Because no matter what I see over here, all I got to do is look over here and be reminded we good. See, that was the problem with the children of Israel, Joshua and Caleb. They went into the promised land, took inventory, even though God never told them to take inventory. And they looked and said, they, we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Baby, this isn't about you, a perspective on who you are. This isn't about self-focus. This is about you becoming aware of who God is in your life. And the truth is, you can't ever know who you are until you know who he is. I love self-awareness. And if you go to our church, you know we are all about self-awareness. But some of you are so self-aware and doing nothing with it. Because to know yourself, but not to know the one who, by whom you came from, the source. Is this all right? He would have swallowed this lie. The Bible says that that, and I don't really need to go into it, but in that war, obviously the children of Israel uh, and Elisha won that war. But the clarity here is that he refused to be under anxiety and worry of the assistant because he had eyes to see what God was doing, not what he wasn't. When's the last time you called somebody not to complain about what's not working out, but to share a testimony? I I saw somebody at the beginning of this year, they were like, I'm doing 21 days of gratefulness. What are you going to do the other 345 days? But don't we have that tendency? We want to lean on the negativity. We want to lean on what's not happening. You've got to be careful of who you even allow around you. Because there are folks who think that love is putting anxiety on you. Oh, I'm just worried about you. I don't need you to be worried. Do I look worried? Do you know who my daddy is? You, you think I'm worried that my car broke down when he owns a Cadillac on a thousand hills? Updated version. You've got to realize that my God is who he is. And if I just keep my, I feel like preaching now. All I got to do is fix my eyes on him and everything will be all right. A couple more points and we'll be out of here. Verse four. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream 
would have gone over our soul. You remember Peter is in a boat and there's a storm and he's sitting on the boat and they hear a name call because they see this figure in the distance. And when he calls, he recognizes that it's Jesus. And he says, all right, if that's you, let me come over there. That's how I read the Bible. Um, Because Peter's like a knucklehead. But the thing I love about Peter is he ain't scared. Uh, Peter's like, all right, if that's you, I don't care about the storm. I don't care about any of that. Can Can I get over to where you are? Peter walks all the way to where Jesus is. And I need you to understand something, that Jesus wasn't just three feet away. How do you know that? You weren't there. When you get to heaven and you watch Netflix, you'll prove me right. Here's how I know that Jesus was not just three feet away. He was so far that they could not initially recognize him. So I don't know how far he was, but he was far enough that young people, these are teenagers with good eyes, could not recognize who he was from a distance. Here's why that's, why that's important. Because Peter steps out of the boat, walks to Jesus, and a lot of us preachers are going to owe Peter an apology. Because we preach about how Peter focused on the storm. But come on, stupid. If you're in the middle of the ocean and there's a storm, I might take a peek. So I'm not going to be too hard on Peter. I, I get it. There are some times you go through some stuff and you take your eyes off of Jesus for a moment. And here's the problem with the church. we got to stop condemning people. Stop beating folks up because they're struggling. Impart faith. Don't beat their faith up. And here's why I say it, because Peter gets there, he looks her, and he sinks. And here's how I know that he, he, he made a long distance. Because the Bible says that Jesus reached down his hand. Didn't walk, didn't move, just reached down his hand and pulled Peter up. This is for three shouters. You've been beating yourself up because of the fall, but you forgot how far you made it from the boat. This stage ain't strong enough for me to shout like I want to, but I need you to go ahead and prophetically pat yourself on the back real quick and say, good job. No, you ain't had it all together and your eyebrows ain't been on fleek every day, but baby, you working it. Your stomach is overlapping your belt, but baby, you still look good. You got to learn how to talk to yourself. Say, I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I'm a lender to nations and I'm not a borrower. You got to begin to say, I'm the righteousness of God. Yeah, I feel my preach coming on. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You need to Remind yourself of who you are. Stop sitting around here reminding yourself of who you're not. I can't preach like them. Well, preach like you. I can't sing as good as they do. Well, be an alto in the choir. But whatever you do, celebrate the wins. Jesus picks them up. Is this all right? They walk back to the boat. And here's the part I want to focus on, because in Psalms 124, verse 4, it says the waters, they would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. But here's the part I need you to check out. And you you verify this when you go home. Bible says that Jesus walks with Peter. They get back in the boat and then the storm ceases. I thought the storm ceased when I was over encountering Jesus because I come on. An altar call fixes it all, right? Just one touch from Jesus is all I need. Just, just I'm walking with, but that's not what it says. It, it says that Jesus actually allowed the storm to continue. What do you do when you can't rebuke the storm giver? <laughs> what, what do you do when your warfare is not against the devil, it's against you and Jesus? What, what do you do? 
The, the Bible says that Jesus walks him to the boat and then the storm sees. And this is the epitome of Psalms 124 verse 4. It is telling us that I would have sunk and died. When I was 16 years old, I got diagnosed with uh, ADHD, manic depression. I was suicidal. And I would have died. Tried to take a bunch of pills. <clears throat> Tried to kill myself. Went to the bathroom and said, this is going to be my last one. Woke up two hours later. Throw up everywhere. All the pills. Everywhere. Um, and I got mad at God. Lord, you're not even going to let me die. Let me try this side because I think this might be too real for that side. Um, God, you're not even going to let me die. And then it hit me. Even when it comes to me, I can't kill what God has purpose to live. And I look back at my testimony now, now, and I don't say this to be braggadocious. I've had the opportunity over the last 15 years of ministry to minister over a hundred, hundreds of thousands of people. I preached in the Philippines with 150,000. I preached in a little Samoan church with two kids, and they took one of them out in the middle of the service. But I have people write me on Instagram and Facebook every month, if not every week, telling me how my ministry blessed them and what word they heard and all this different stuff. And I don't say this to be braggadocious. I just say, you better be lucky, God. You better be glad that God didn't allow the storm to overwhelm me. Because if the storm had have overwhelmed me like I wanted it to overwhelm me, the fruit that was supposed to be produced would have never been. See, I need... High five your neighbor and say, neighbor, live, 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 live. I need you to live. I don't care how much the storms rage, keep living. I don't care how much you have to fight, keep living. If you've got to cry, keep living. If you've got to complain while you're doing it, don't do it too much, but keep living. Whatever you've got to do, keep living. Because there's no storm that's going to overwhelm you that Jesus can't rip you out of. Somebody give God a praise. Verse 5. Then... The swollen waters, I like swollen, would have gone over our soul. Have you ever been in a situation that looked incom completely impossible to get through? So did Moses. And Moses got in front of the Red Sea and had a million and a half people. Uh, and how many people know pastoring 60 people is hard? Moses had 1.2 million, and they were the Israelites. How about that? He gets to the Red Sea, and these idiots, we want to go back to slavery because we're hungry. Now, now, before you laugh too hard at them, I pastored long enough to, to know that some of y'all want leeks and onions too. Oh, yeah, I knew. <laughs> Why did they want to go back to Israel? They wanted to go back, or excuse me, they wanted to go back to Egypt into slavery because the food was better. And ain't it funny that the enemy will only remind you of the good times of your bondage. He won't remind you about how you had to go to the clinic and get tested and spend 
Okay, all right, all right, all right. He, he, won't, he won't remind you uh, about the, 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 uh, having the throw up. You're waking up and you throw up and, and that the filth that you felt. He won't, he'll just, oh, baby, it was good. That was bum. Forget, it was five minutes, didn't last that long and didn't want it again. Some of y'all will get that on the way home. Um, yeah, but the enemy will make you think that everything that you went through was awesome. I'm trying to calm down because I feel like running through the door because I think about all the stuff that I did and y'all don't want to hear my whole testimony, but I think about all the people that I did and I should be in the hospital with an STD. I should be six feet under. There is no reason I should be on anyone's pulpit, but I bless them because of grace. I bless them because of mercy. I thank them because he didn't let me die. I thank them because he didn't let me go crazy. The rest of my family lost their mind, but guess who did it? I thank God. Come on, somebody give God about 10 seconds of a hallelujah that he didn't let me die. Blessed be your name. Please sit down. You're scaring my Asian members. Mother, are you with me? Because I'm about to go old school for a second. Um, he, he says, our soul, excuse me, verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not given us prey to their teeth. He's saying, God, you protected me from some enemies that I could see. They were coming after me and I saw their teeth and they were wanting to devour me, but you didn't let them have their way. But watch this in, in the next one, verse seven. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Now, when I read the Bible, if I don't know something, um, I go to Google. And when I grew up in all of my 18 years of Childhood, I never used the word snare once. So I want to know, what the heck is a snare? No, I didn't graduate college, but Google did. So when I put it in there, I looked up what a snare was. And when I looked it up, Adrian, uh, what I saw was they would have these very tiny nets that they would set up to try to catch a bird. But you almost could not see the net. They were near invisible. And what would happen is that the birds, because they could not see it, would run into the net and they would begin to get trapped. And that was called a snare. And David says, God, you have delivered me from the snare. But not only did you deliver me from the snare, you actually broke the snare. Here's why this is important. Because in the prior verse, he says, God, thank you for keeping me from my enemies, the ones that I could see. But in this next verse, he says, God, there were some things I could not see. The old folks said it like this. He kept me from the seen and the unseen. There are some things. Do you realize that there are some prayers that God didn't pray for you because he saw the snare? There are some things he didn't let you. You thought it was that your schedule couldn't work out and God was just just breaking the snare you thought you couldn't you, you thought it was all this other stuff and what was happening was God was proving to you that I don't just take care of the scene but I deal with the stuff you can't even see in Daniel, the 21st chapter, the Bible says that David began to pray. And as he began, uh, not David, but uh, 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 Daniel began to pray. And as Daniel began to pray, uh, wait, is that the right one? Lord have mercy. Daniel prayed for 21 days. Yes, Daniel fast. There we go. <laughs> 36, a little senior moment starting to pop up. Uh, Daniel, Daniel prayed, and for 21 days, he just prayed. The heavens felt like they were shut. Do I have anybody who's been praying for something for a long time, and you're going, like, Lord, if I got to hear one more testimony. Somebody getting their soulmate. Like, it was cute at first. 
Come on, you know, don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know what I'm talking about. You, oh, man, they're getting, praise God. You get turned 28. Somebody else gets married. Oh, glory. Now you're 32. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus. And you sitting over here like, Lord, I know I don't look that bad. My lace front's on straight. And as a matter of fact, they are on their third husband. And you're trying to figure out, God, when the heck is it my turn? And there are some things that you've been praying for a long time, and I've got the answer for you. Because you think that God doesn't hear your prayers, but the Bible says that his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, and his arm is not short that he cannot save. Here's what you've got to understand, that this world is not all that there is, that there is a spiritual realm. Now, here's where it gets a little weird, because we don't like to talk about the spirit realm, even though the Bible says in John chapter 4 that God is not a human, he's not made of flesh, he is a spirit. There are angelic and demonic things happening in spiritual atmospheres. And when I start talking about angels, people get really weird and you know, I could talk about demons and nobody would get weird because we actually believe they have power and we think that they have more power than our angelic host but here's the deal Daniel prayed and nothing happened the 21st day came and the angel said I heard your prayer the first day but there was some warfare that I had to get through in order to get to you because the prince of Persia was trying to attack me. And here's the encouragement that I have for you. For those of you who feel like I have been praying for a long time and nothing has seemed to happen. What do you do when you pray and nothing happens? You keep praying. All right. I didn't get enough claps. Let me try on this side. What prayer can't do, more prayer will do. All right. Let me try my back row. And the struggle is that the American church on average prays less than two minutes a week. And some of you want testimonies in areas you've never sown. Thinking about prayer is not prayer. Reading about prayer is not prayer. Praying is prayer. And we got, this is old school. I'm going to say a four letter word. Forgive me. You don't have to give me an honorary. Um, we got to learn how to pray. Yeah, that's your four-letter word, pray. Yeah, people come to my office nowadays. Something shifted in me this last summer, and I can't deal with, like, low issues anymore, like just stupid stuff. You mad at them for something that shouldn't, like, what? Go pray. Because if you walk away from prayer the same, you didn't pray, you complain. Because prayer doesn't always change your situation, but it will change you. Daniel is praying for 21 days and nothing is happening. Finally, breakthrough comes. And I want to I let you know that there are some things happening in the invisible realm that God's working out on your behalf. I've got good news for you. There are folks that God is going to begin to send dreams to to provide favor for your life. You thought that you had to sleep to get the promotion. I'm telling you, baby girl, keep your pants up. Baby boy, keep your pants up. You ain't got to sleep for this blessing because the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. God's about to bless you behind your back. There are things that he's working out in the spirit realm. Oakland Worship Center, there are things that he's working out in the spirit realm, and this is why we praise him. Because what? Okay, let me, last verse. And, and Matt, come up and join me so they know I'm finishing. Play something romantic. Uh, when it says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, that term, on our side, is the past tense version of the term Emmanuel, which means God with us. The past tense would have been that phrase, had been on our side. Here's why that's important. We think 
that God wanted to be close to us after Jesus died. That that's when he rent the veil and he decided he wanted to be close to us. What you don't understand is that since the beginning of time in Genesis, God's been trying to walk with us. You and I are the only ones who've messed it up. Adam and Eve proved to us that you can walk with the Lord literally, physically, and still fall into sin. Come on, I know you speak in tongues a hundred syllables a minute, but the truth is you can speak in tongues and still be in sin. You can be on the worship team and still be in sin. Uh, you, you, you can go to church every Sunday and still not be repented. Let me stop for a moment because I feel the spirit. A sound man, if you can turn him up. There's about three or four of you in this room. And you don't even know why you came to church today. You just came. But your life has been hell over the last year, year and a half. And you found yourself dabbling back into drugs, back into a wayward lifestyle. And I'm seeing you in the spirit right now, and I'm closing my eyes, and none of you think I'm talking about you specifically. I'm just seeing what I see in the spirit. The reason why God brought you here this morning is to actually bring back to your memory the good times that you had with him. That it ain't always been like this. That there were some days you used to walk strongly with the Lord. I want to give you a heated warning. Today's the day of salvation for you, friend. It's unusual. I don't usually do this, but I sense something so strong that there's at least three or four of you in this room. And even right now, you're sweating because, oh, Lord, don't let him see me. I hope it's not. It's you, friend. Let me finish this last part, and then I'll pray for you. The scriptures finish here. And it says in the last verse, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I feel the spirit of God so strong in here. Shawana, our help is not in the next paycheck. Our help is not even in our accountability partner. I love my pastor, but he's not my help. All of my help comes from the Lord. Here's the deal. Help me understand that. How do I use the name of the Lord to be my help? I got you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run therein, and that's where they are safe. If you ask anything in my name, uh, when he says pray in Jesus' name, that's not an addendum to an apostolic prayer. It's actually a geographical spiritual location. He's saying, don't pray outside my name. Pray in my name. I still don't get it, though. I got you. What does it mean to run into the name of the Lord and be saved? Jesus tells us what it means when he sends his disciples out to go preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to raise the dead. He says, anything that you ask in my name, it will be granted for you. What he's telling them is that you can't go under your own authority. So what does it mean to be in the name? Uh, you know, I've got teams and leaders, and sometimes I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, can you ask so-and-so to do a thing? They'll go and ask so-and-so to do the thing. You know, I'm not doing that. They'll come back to me and say, well, they said they're not doing it. Go tell them, I said, go do it. They'll send them back. They'll go, okay, I got it. Because authority moves in different ways. 
And in your authority, you have no power. That's why you're running on fumes now. Because you've been trying to make it work all on your own. Trying to put it together, baby girl, all on your own. But your name has no authority. The only name that has authority is the name of the Lord. Okay, so how do I get in that name? How, how do I make that name significant for me? Here's what it means to be in the name of the Lord. Because have you ever prayed for the BMW? I claim it in Jesus' name. And it didn't work. Went to house showings and Lord, I claim these 17 bedroom house in San Francisco for $10 million in Jesus' name. And you didn't get the house. Why? Because the only thing that he's required to answer is anything that's in his name. So here's what happens. We get saved and we don't get transformed. So we get saved and we take our lustful spirits that we had in the world. We dip it in Jesus. And now we have somewhere to go on Sunday mornings. Jesus does not want to fix or heal your heart. He wants to give you a brand new one, a heart of flesh. Here's why I say this, because if you're going to ask anything in his name, what that means is that you're going to have to be subject to his authority. And some of you have been trying to live life on your own. I didn't mean to go this direction, but I feel it. Some of you don't realize that your worry and your anxiety, your fear, all the stuff that you're going through, it's not because God's not mad at you. He's just saying, there's no safety outside of my name. Come under the subjection of my authority. Would you stand with me? I took way too much time, so I won't take much more. But he says, blessed be the Lord. And then he finishes off by saying, the one who made heaven and earth. Would you do me a favor? Just, um, just tap your feet on the floor real quick. Um, one more thing. Just kind of tap your chair in front of you or behind you real quick. All right. Here's, here's why I had you do a strange thing. Because if you can see it in the earth, it is subject to God. Whatever you see in the earth realm has been subject to God. So David ends this psalm by saying, blessed be the Lord, the name of the Lord, who is our help, who owns everything. And up until Jesus comes, it seemed like he had conquered everything except for one thing. And what was that? Death. Then what did Jesus do? He took the snare out of death. 